Hello, and welcome to Energy Levelized. I'm Morgan. And I'm Bill, and we're your hosts. Energy Levelized is a glimpse behind the scenes, a chance to hear from the passionate personalities behind the mountains of research the Enverse Intelligence team puts out on the energy space. For those that aren't familiar with Enveris, we're an energy SaaS firm that is influencing the world's most important energy decisions by connecting an industry through intelligence, data analytics, and smart network technologies. We invite you to join us as we have fun, unscripted, and honest conversations tackling the toughest questions in energy. Hey, Bill. Welcome back to Calgary. It's been, what, a couple of years? Yeah, I can't believe that this is the first time we are doing the Energy Levelized podcast and actually hosting it from the office here in Calgary. So uh, Patrick and I have just crossed the Atlantic helping to uh, prop up the demand for jet fuel. And it's definitely a great time to be here. Awesome. Feels good to be here in person. Absolutely. Yeah, wonderful. So, so yeah, you mentioned our guest today, Ruddy, Patrick Ruddy. Um, both of you flew in from the UK. Um, how about you introduce... Patrick, for our Yes, so Patrick um, is an industry veteran and geoscientist by training who generated prospects and led exploration teams in North America, uh, Saudi Arabia, and Central Europe, but numerous oil operators for the last 25 years. Uh, he joined Enverus in 2017, serving first in product management and sales, and now as director of global research in our intelligence organization. Uh, he lives in the UK, and when, in his own words, he's not nerding out on something energy-related, he can often be found running in and around his newly adopted hometown of Edinburgh. And I, I expect that's because you're running away from the Scots, mainly. Mostly. <laughs> Unfriendly people. Awesome. Welcome, Patrick. Not true. Um, so today we have a pretty fun topic. Uh, we wanted to bring you in with your background and everything to talk about global exploration. Um, it's been getting quite a bit of, I'd say, headline activity uh, with the increased focus on um, operators moving towards low carbon assets, you know, energy transition becoming more centerfold, uh, IOCs divesting assets. So, so maybe to open up, Patrick, what does this mean for global exploration? Well, maybe we could start with um, what is the state of global exploration? Um, and uh, we don't have pictures in front of us right now, so I'll draw them in the air for you. But um, suffice to say, currently, we are at a 70-year low in global exploration. And we're at about a third the levels that we saw in 2010, exploration drilling. Um, we, could, we could go on and talk about seismic surveys and, and, and acreage awards um, and asset transactions. But global exploration seems to have you know, hit the skids, or whatever you want to say. Um, and there are. Many reasons for that. Patrick, what, what's your feeling about the drivers for that? Do you think it's partly COVID? Is it the oil cycle? Um, is it the transition? What, what are the drivers behind that collapse in activity? Probably too many to, to, to touch on or to get it right. I mean, it's a huge multivariate problem. But uh, by and large, activity has been driven historically by price. I mean, the correlation is really, really staunch. Um, from back in the early 80s uh, when he, you had a big price increase and activity spiked way up. Um, 1984, five, six, price went the other direction. Activity followed it right down after a few years. And as you, as you moved into the sort of late 2000s and uh, kind of right up into 2014, 
Price, as we know, went right back up. Activity followed it right back up. Then it didn't even lag. It, it was almost in lockstep with it. Um, and the same carried through until 2020. Um, so this is a big price rent bill. There are some other reasons too, don't let me forget to mention them, but something interesting is happening right now, which is we've got price that's rebound this year in 2021 uh, from, what, from what it was at in 2020, and yet exploration activity has continued to decline. Um, so maybe, no, we could, we could talk about the reasons for that. We should do it now. Um, sure, let's do that. So exploration is declining. Is it centered around specific regions? Countries, hydrocarbon mixes. Do you want the easy answer or the, we'll start with the difficult? Easy. <laughs> the easy answer is no. It's it's everywhere. It's offshore. It's onshore. It's oil. It's gas. It's Asia. It's Europe. It's Latin America. You know, I could go on down the list. It's everything is getting hit. Um, there are some really subtle nuances in it, and some some maybe not quite so subtle. Europe and Asia seem to be a little bit more resilient. They are a little bit more resilient in terms of exploration activity. Um, a few reasons for that, um, good market access for both, you know, particularly for gas, but um, good market access. Um, there's, a fair, there's a good opportunity for infrastructure-led exploration, which is you know, by its nature resilient because it's, it's got a relatively low F&D you know, in places like the North Sea, Gulf of Mexico, um, a lot of the offshore Asia, neck of the woods. Um, so, but, but it's kind of working against that, I feel like we have, um, you know, something seems to be going different here in 2021, I guess, is, is the point. Um, we've always in the past, and I'm pausing, I'm looking at my feet to think if there's an exception to this rule in the last 70 years, but I'll just say it. We've, we always see activity rebounding when price rebounds. Um, if we don't see activity rebounding in 2022, then something significant has changed. Um, Bill, you, you alluded to it before. There could be some short-term reasons for um, for decline or for activity staying low in 2021, even with a strong price. It could be just, look, I'm, I'm conservative because of the pandemic. Companies could be thinking this way. I'm just going to hold my cards for now. Um, it could be that we've had some long-term contracts roll off and people are just sitting tight. It could be, um, there could be some ESG concerns playing into this. Um, uh, there was another one I wanted to mention and now it's escaping me. But it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Do you think it, it could be um, that the industry has finally taken on board the idea of peak oil demand and that the very barrels that they may well end up producing on a long lead time project are just going to be less needed and that therefore the marginal price is going to be low, which of course then starts to challenge the economics of more expensive investments? Yeah, so... That's a great question. Um, somebody asked me something similar recently. Um, they asked, is the reason for recent exploration success, because exploration success actually keeps getting better in the face of all this, even though activity is declining, success rates go, go up. And this person asked, is that because you know, companies have realized they should stop hunting for elephants? You know, there's no need for that anymore. Um, and my answer was, um, it's a little bit like, have you, <laughs> do you know the story of the scorpion and the frog? No, let's hear it. Okay, so uh, frog comes to the river, he needs to get across, and, uh, sorry, scorpion comes to the river, he needs to get across, frog says, uh, you know, a scorpion asks the frog if, if the frog would give him a ride. Frog goes, no, you're going you're gonna to sting me. Um, scorpion says, no, that's stupid, because then you die, and then I die. Uh, that's not going to happen. Frog says, good point, okay, I'll take you across. 
Scorpion gets on the frog's back to get halfway out. Scorpion stings him. Frog is dying and says, what the heck? What's the matter with you? Why did you do that? And Scorpion says, I'm a scorpion. That's what scorpions do. <laughs> and so my point is, um, oil and gas companies, exploration companies, explore. They hunt elephants. They drill exploration wells. And so, Bill, although I want to say that maybe there are calmer heads prevailing um, and they, that, that companies are taking stock of what the future holds, you know, if peak demand occurs between now and 2030, and there's not a need for what might be relatively high-cost barrels in the supply stack, that they're holding back. But my gut tells me it's shorter-term, more sort of impulsive responses, and if price stays high next year, they'll be back. That's, a, that's an interesting thought. Um, do you think, I mean, what you're kind of saying is that frontier exploration, like ultra-deep water, Arctic, really expensive stuff, it's probably over and that people looking for elephants would probably be looking for elephants now uh, in terms of infill, in terms of uh, new accumulations, new existing infrastructure, that sort of thing. It, it, it's not the exciting world of exploration that, that we all grew up with over the last 40 years in terms of the oil industry, is it? No, it's, it's, yeah. I think it's not going to be the same. To, to add on to that, I, um, my question is, are there regions where we're still seeing Growth. I mean, it's not declined across the board, but there's got to be some areas of the globe that we're still seeing. So the answer to Morgan's question is yes, there are areas, areas where we're still seeing growth. Um, we still see growth in, we see a bit of growth in Norway still. I mean, a very mature area. Um, interestingly, we, in the North Sea, we see more growth in Norway and a little more decline on the UK side, probably policy-driven, um, but both in Norway, um, and a bit in the Gulf of Mexico, you know, you, you've got infrastructure that now enables you to go and do these subsea tiebacks um, and, and grab some new reserves that, are, that have been sitting out there undeveloped for a while. In addition, pre-salt Brazil has driven a lot of continued exploration activity um, and the kind of the darling of the moment still, even with a, a few dry holes recently, is Guiana Suriname, where we expect to see, I think, a little bit over one and a half million barrels a day added over the next, um, over the next decade or so. Um, just on the question of the pre-salt in Brazil, that's all expensive, deep water, no infrastructure, FPSOs, all that sort of thing. It's interesting that it's still marching ahead so strongly, or are we just seeing the benefits of earlier exploration? So we're in the development phase that's been long programmed. Is that, is that what's going on there? If you look at the production from Brazil and you look at the exploration drilling and you, and you sort of look at the timing of those two things, um, the production that we see now from pre-salt, and I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it is significant now. Significant proportion of results, several million a day. Yeah, I, I think this brings up a really interesting perspective that maybe a lot of the listeners um, maybe don't get as much of a view on, is that even though exploration is declining, the ability for some of these more, for lack of better words, more explored areas or offshore areas, the ability for them to keep the, these wedges flat is a lot easier and a lot lower cost than people originally expected or understand. Yep, it's remarkable. I mean, it's, it's infills and tiebacks. Infills are typically going to be um, the sort of thing that is going to uh, optimize recovery, right? That's new reserves. That's maintenance of production. It's not exploration drilling. And then tiebacks are, you know, enable you to go and access reserves that are known to exist 
but just aren't producing yet. And again, it's not exploration. So it doesn't show up in the exploration stats. Mm -hmm. And yet it does. It, it completely maintains. And in fact, in the Gulf of Mexico, now 70% of the production comes from infills and tiebacks. So is like when we think about, okay, exploration trends are declining. Um, the amount of capital that's going into these global assets is, is declining. But should the alarm bells be ringing? I mean, you see a lot of headlines that we're heading into this energy crisis. Um, there's not going to be enough supply as we approach the end of the decade. But you know, is is that a point of concern if if we're seeing in some of these more developed uh, assets that infill is enough to to keep them flat? And here's where we circle right back to your question, though, about you know our companies starting to shy away from those those deep, expensive sort of long-term projects in places like pre-salt Brazil, and should they be? So the answer to your question, Morgan, is it, it looks like those might be ill-advised dollars to spend right now. Um, we see production almost flat, not quite flat. We see it flat to about 2028, 2029. I've got a question. I mean, it seems to me that capital has fallen out of love with long lead time projects. And, and so the sort of... Um, huge projects we saw in Kazakhstan, Central Asia, um, some Russian projects as well, um, where the, uh, the, the time from FID to first oil was years and years and years and tens of billions of pounds of investment. Those kind of projects, nobody would even entertain today. So I guess what I'm saying is when you have something like the, the US shale model where you can get a turnaround, you can get, um, get revenue within, within months, let alone years. Are we just, do you think global exploration sees that model and says, well, we're not really wanting to be too far away from that anymore for the simple reason that we don't know uh, when peak demand happens, when demand for these incremental barrels will start to fade, and, and we don't want to get on the wrong side of that economic. Yeah, I mean, it should be. That should be going on, right? In, in a way that it never has before, the timing of when your barrels hit the supply stack matter. They, you know, they mattered before in the, in, in the sense of NPV, right? You know, you wanted to get them to market as quickly as possible, but now it matters literally what year they're going to show up and does anybody really need them at what you are going to, or at what you're going to pay to find and develop them and produce them. Yeah, interesting. So ultimately, we think, there's enough global supply there to get us through to peak demand. We do. Yeah. Um, so we only have a, a few minutes here, so maybe we'll start wrapping it up with uh, a couple of questions. Um, Ready? I'm curious to see what excites you about the global scene today. Is there a region that kind of surprises you, or? I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm of a one-track mind on what excites me about global exploration anymore, and it's Africa. And it's for some sort of it's for some emotional, but also some technical and some business reasons. Um, we went to Africa Oil Week uh, down in Dubai. It was held in Dubai this year instead of Cape Town. A, f a few uh, it was about a month ago now. And you know, Africa is in, in large part, uh, except for a few areas, is it still remains largely underexplored. Uh, there are all sorts of reasons for that that are you know horrible and and reasonable, but it just does remain relatively underexplored. And the African countries and the representatives of all those countries were there at Africa Oil Week. I mean, the ministers were there and our scouts were having conversations with representatives from the ministries. And um, with and this, this kind of brings it all together, which is why I'm really passionate now about Africa. With the advent of 
or with the with impending um, you know global demand peak or let me back up in Africa peak demand is nowhere in sight when we talk about uh, peak demand it's a global thing that we're talking about Africa is insatiable for energy because it's tremendously under underdeveloped it's energy impoverished um, and so the opportunity in Africa is to go explore for resource that you use in Africa because that's where the demand is. So the whole story is almost flipped upside down there and it has implications for capital and, and all of it. So the other wrapping up question that I've got is, do you think we'll see a skew towards more gassy exploration, which is a, which is a power driver in a, in a low carbon world as opposed to uh, liquids fuels? I think the answer to that is unequivocally yes, we, ha we have to, but as long as you don't have to take it anywhere, LNG is going to be really unpopular because of its emissions profile. I think um, end of the day or the story is that, you know, global exploration might be down, but uh, don't count it out quite yet. Awesome. Thanks, Patrick and Bill. Thanks. Thanks very much, Patrick. That was great. Thank you both. My pleasure. This podcast was recorded on December 6, 2021. Inveris Intelligence Research Incorporated provides leading energy industry research and is a subsidiary of Inveris, the largest SaaS company in the world solely dedicated to the energy market. Therefore, any company mentioned in this podcast may be a subscriber or client of Inveris Intelligence Research, Inveris, or their affiliates. However, any views expressed in this podcast accurately reflect the speaker's personal views about any subject securities referenced. The information contained in this recording is provided for information purposes only and is not to be used or considered as investment advice or recommendation or offer to buy, hold, or sell any securities or other financial instruments. Please visit www.inveris.com disclosures for additional information.